We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown, and joined with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher at Irish Breakdown, and we're going to throw around the old 12-7 to victory at Notre Dame just had over Louisville, and... You know, we're going to break down the game, of course. Uh, you know, we're we're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, what does this game mean, big picture? Because you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of things on social media because Notre Dame, uh, where they are in the AP poll, and and people complaining, and and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, just based on the eye test and things of that nature, and the competition, all these different things. So, so what does this win? mean for Notre Dame. Now, easily what it means is they're 4-0. They're undefeated uh, overall. They're undefeated within the ACC, which all of those things are, are very important. Uh, they are they have solidified mm-hmm. their, their themselves as the number two team in the ACC at the present. And obviously that is a good thing because that keeps you eligible for the ACC championship. So those big picture things are all still out there. Um, but look, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination on Saturday, and no one will disagree with that, but uh, it was a win. And But we're going to dissect things uh, from that. Brian, I want to get... Why don't we just start with your overall thoughts coming out of that game? I know we were both... Uh, we both had pretty strong opinions, I think, following the final whistle, uh, but uh, it, it's been a little bit of time. Had a chance to break down the film a little bit. What are your thoughts uh, as we are recording? You know, I, I think sometimes we can make too much of one game. 
Sure. And, and I think sometimes we can we can gloss over certain things just because of a win. And I think both of those things are, are, are true here. I, and there's a reason why I have had such a strong reaction to the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't just a game, right? So, like, bad games happen. Sure. Bad games happen to really good teams. I think back to the year when Clemson won their first national championship. They lost at home to Pitt, giving up over 40 points a game. That was a bad day. Uh, when I look at uh, 2017 Clemson team that made the college football playoff, they lost a home, they lost on the road to a four and eight Syracuse team. You know, 2018, a really good Ohio State team went on the road and got didn't just lose, got curb stomped by Purdue. Right. So you know the the Nick Saban has two L's to Hugh Freeze. Okay, uh, games like this are going to happen. The the problem is, and the reason why it's not just oh, it's just a bad day or it's just this, is because on Saturday we saw a lot of things happen that are trends, and, and that's the problem. And you, we had hoped that that coming into the 2020 season, which is Brian Kelly's 11th, you know, that, that, that Brian Kelly would be serious about, you know, doing the things he needs to do to win a championship. You know, you kind of hoped like, hey, look, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt with the Tommy Reese hire. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt with these certain things. That that he he knows what he's doing and and you know, I think Brian Kelly does know what he's doing. He's lot, done a lot of great things at Notre Dame and we can appreciate how he's made Notre Dame the program that it is, which is a program that beats everyone they're supposed to beat. Sure, uh, it's not always pretty, uh, but Notre Dame is able to out talent people. The problem that I see and and we saw it again on Saturday is that Brian Kelly refuses to do the things that I believe he needs to do to take the program to the next step. And I think when you when you look at it, you look at Saturday and you say, okay, what what did we see on Saturday? Well, we learned that a defense that had a really bad week a week ago played poorly, made mental mistakes, assignment mistakes, all those kind of things can look at the film, make the corrections, apply those corrections, coach them in a way in which the players can accept those corrections, and then go out and be dominant. And, and we saw that. From the defense, you know, they held Louisville to the fewest points of the Scott Satterfield era. They held Louisville to the second fewest yards of the Scott Satterfield era. Uh, I think second or third lowest, you know, rushing yards per game. Javion Hawkins was the number two rusher in the country coming into this game. Uh, He was a guy that last year ran for over 1,500 yards. And one of the things that you and I talked about last week was if Notre Dame is struggling with Jordan Travis and the Florida right. State running backs. What's going to happen when they play Malik Cunningham and the and the and the Louisville running back? And Notre Dame dominated. I mean, Javion oh, Hawkins did. had 51 yards rushing, and, and that was the lowest of his career since he's become the starter. I mean, he had a couple games. He had like one carry for six yards, right? But you know, I'm t- you get you get what I'm saying, right? When he's a featured back, yeah. that's the lowest and he's ever had. 42 right? of those yards came on two carries. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and 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 on top of that, they didn't they didn't sacrifice stopping the run. Uh, at the sake of getting beat in the pass game because they held Louisville to like five yards of an attempt. They barely topped 100 yards passing. And 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 again, like 57 of those came on two plays. And, and so you look at it and you say, boy, that, that's called great coaching. And, and when I look at the Notre Dame football team, I say on offense, I say this is the same stubbornness that we've seen for years under Brian Kelly. You know, when they, when they trot out uh, Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley, and they're playing them together. When they're running four vertical concepts with those two plus two tight ends, when I look at the stat sheet for the second week in a row and the tight ends, which is arguably you know, the, the best skill position group you have, are targeted a combined three to- four times in this game, you know, which is about what they were targeted last week. 
against Florida State. So you're now two games in a row where you've barely even looked at your tight ends. And and it's it's look, it's not a knock on Javon McKinley. I think Javon McKinley's a good player, but Javon McKinley's had one good game and three bad games now. Yeah. And yeah. it's more of a are you putting Javon McKinley in position to be successful? I think Ben Skoranek is a good football player, but the concern I had when they got him is are they going to take him because he's a veteran? And we talked about this over the summer. I know I talked about it at the time, Vince. I don't think you were quite with me yet doing the podcast, but I know you and I talked about it as a, yeah. as, you know, personally. Was my concern is that you're going to take him and you're going to say experienced guy, veteran guy, he's going to play over younger guys, right. and that's exactly what they've done. Well, and and so now you're hurting Ben Skoranek yeah. because you're not putting him in position to where his game is being utilized correctly, slot moving him around, letting him – because what was the big play that Ben Skronik made in the game? He made two. They are both over the middle of the field. It was the mm-hmm. early third down conversion, where he and he ran it from the outside and then the crossing route. Those are the things that Ben Skronik does well. So when you're asking him to run four verts and deep comebacks and all these kind of outside routes, that's not where he's good. Right. And and it's just the same old thing, Vince. It's like, you say, well, you know, it's, it's, if those other guys, you know, were, were earning the playing time, then they'd play. No. I mean, how many times have we seen this story before? Remember when Denard Robinson was running all over the Notre Dame defense back in 2011 while Stephon Tewitt and Aaron Lynch stood on the sidelines? I do. You remember when Notre Dame was losing by a point to Georgia in 2017 and Cameron Smith, Freddie Cantine, and Chris Fink combined for over 100 snaps while Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Cole Komet, pretty good players, combined for 12 and, and let me remind you, that was junior Miles Boykin and sophomore Chase Claypool because they were younger. They didn't know the whole route tree, this, right. that, and the other. every other excuse that we're still hearing why the other guys don't play. And, and it's the same thing. And then, you know, it's it's kind of like that's where the frustration comes from because you're like, here we go again. It's the same old, same old. And then when to say after the game, well, I saw a lot of impressive things out there. After a 12-7 to game, well, you know, that wasn't your typical 12-7 to game. That that team was better than 1-3. and three. Come on, man! Like, come on! Like, seriously. Well, and 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 we're not. Like, I just want to clarify one of your points. We're not saying that experience and leadership in the wide receiver room is a bad thing. It's a good thing to have in the room. And, and I'm not a, saying those two right. guys shouldn't play. But but to the amount and to the positions that they're being put in to play, it is not where they should be. And they just shouldn't. And one of the things that Brian Kelly said that that really irked me uh, in the middle of the week was somebody asked about Jordan Johnson and why he's not seeing the field, right? And he's the freshman, wide receiver, all kinds of talent, right? And his response was, Jordan's problem is that there's guys ahead of him who are peaking late in their careers. <laughs> uh, and he was referring to Javon McKinley, obviously. And then he said, and there's the grad transfer and Ben Skoranek. Okay. I, that's not Jordan's problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the coach's problem. That's a Brian Kelly, Tommy yeah. Reese, Dell Alexander yeah, problem. That's not, that's the first thing that in my head I was like, Whoa, 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 man. That that's not Jordan's problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the coaches need to find a place for him to get on the field. You can take those other guys off the field for a series, for half a series, for whatever the case may be. You can find a niche uh responsibility uh to get those guys on the field to target those guys, whether it be a tunnel screen, whether it be a go route, you know, whatever. Those guys have run those routes their entire lives. Like they they don't need to be coached up 
to run those particular routes. Now, if you're asking them to run choice routes and they're trying to read the defense and all that as true freshmen, sure, I get it. Maybe they're not ready for that. But there's ways to get those guys on the field. And the way that it's being told to us, uh, I, I just I don't buy it. I, it's not the player's problem. It is the coach's problem. And, and again, if this was just a Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts issue, then I'd say, you know, maybe those guys aren't developing it. You know, and then I do some digging and I talk to people and they say, well, you know, uh, Jordan went through a period of fall camp where he just was really overwhelmed and struggling. And, this, okay. and I'm like, okay, then, then, then why? It's what I've always said. You test kids early, you see what they do well. But as you start getting into that last two weeks of fall camp, you say, okay, you know, so for example, I've talked to three or four different sources over the last couple weeks that have said, of the freshmen, you know, we all talk about Jordan Johnson constantly gets asked about. Because he was the five-star recruit. Of course. And, and he was a very good player. I mean, I graded him as a top 50 caliber recruit. But I've said all along, the guy that, that has the most oh, upside, yeah. Xavier Watts. Sure, right. And and uh, and when I look at it, I, I ask around, and I'm just like, of all the freshmen, like Xavier's the best player. And, and he's this and he's that. And I'm like, okay, then again, why isn't he playing? You're telling me he can't run a jet sweep? Right. He doesn't know how to run a hitch route? He doesn't know how to run a crossing route? And those are all routes that they've run all through high school. Okay. Right. And and again, it's like, well, he can't do this, this. I don't care. I'm not asking you to take the 60-plus snaps that Javon McKinley said and give them, played and give them all to Jordan Johnson. I'm not telling you to take all 60-plus snaps that Ben Skoranek played and give them all to Xavier Watts. But what I am saying is that – and I'm not even saying you take both of them off the field when you put one of those two guys in. Put, put Ben Skoranek in the slot. Yeah. A couple times a game. Exactly. He's done damage in, in college in, in those situations. And what I said when they got Ben Skronik is that if Notre Dame uses him correctly, this is a really good pickup. And that is you don't put him in one position and allow the defense to key on him because he's not athletic enough to really dominate when the defense can game plan for him. You move him around. You put him in matchups that are favorable sure. to him. You know, sometimes it's in the slot. Sometimes maybe it's in the boundary. Sometimes it can be at other places. But you also don't ask him to be a guy that you're going to build your pass game around. He is a complementary player. Well, and, and, just, and, and just to build off that, putting a guy like Javon McKinley in the slot, even if it's a run play – Okay, uh, or whatever the case may be, now he's matched up against either a nickel, okay, or he's matched up against an outside linebacker. I still like Javon McKinley as a blocker against those guys. So you, he can be blocking in the box, which I think makes your run game even more uh, exciting. You know what I mean? I, I just, right. I just, there's things you can do. You can move guys around. You know what I mean? I'm just. Because it's it, the way that Brian Kelly makes it, and there's two things he does that drive me crazy. Number one is he makes it an either-or conversation, to your point that you mentioned earlier. Well, they're not playing because other guys are peaking. Okay, who said to bench those guys? Who said bench Ben Skronik? Who said bench Javon McKinley? Who said bench Avery Davis? I didn't. Right. I'm not advocating for those things. I think those guys all bring something to the offense. They should all play. What I'm saying, however is that stop throwing away Lawrence Keyes and wasting him. And now Lawrence Keyes is more of a bigger picture conversation because he wasn't available on Saturday, okay? And and again, Braden Lindsey. I, look, I understand you not wanting to make Braden Lindsey the focal point of your pass game because you never know when Braden Lindsey is going to be out there. And so you can't build your offense around Braden Lindsey the way you did Will Fuller because, number one, he's not as good as Will Fuller. Number two, he he is also a complimentary player because he has not proven himself to be an, an, a guy that's tough enough to be an every-down player. Uh, he's a guy that hasn't has proven he can't stay healthy, right? So, so again, I'm not saying that 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 they need to be the next Golden Tate or Michael right. Floyd, but what I'm saying is, 
Do what other teams do. I remember, and I'll point to this as an example, and there's plenty I could use. As you look at uh, what what uh, Ohio State did in 2017 with Chris Olave, again, a, f- a three-star recruit, by the way, who's now Ohio State's best player for all those people to say, well, Notre Dame doesn't recruit well enough at receiver, which <laughs> is actually something someone said this weekend. And, and I'm sympathetic uh. to that point of view because I think that's a fan that's just trying – because there's two ways that fans can react to this. One is to be angry. The other is to – is to try to make excuses for it because you just don't want to be upset. And, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm not coming down on that person, and I'm sympathetic to that point of view. And so I know it sounded like I was being sarcastic to that person, but I also think that's something where they get that because of the excuses that Brian Kelly has made about shopping down different aisles and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, you know, So Chris Olave was a three-star recruit, came to Ohio State, and as a freshman did played every week, every week. He didn't play a bunch. And in the first, I think I've put this out before, the first uh, eight games of his freshman season, he caught two passes. But he played consistently. Mm-hmm. And it was five snaps here, five snaps there. And then by the end of the season, when they had to rely on him for different reasons, he was ready. And he stepped up and had some big games. And, and you know, I mean, I, I still remember the Michigan game. He, has, he catches two touch, two passes in that game. Both went for touchdowns. That was a big game because that was a Michigan team that was in the top ten. And if you remember in 2018 – that was a Michigan team that at that time going into that game, you had a lot of people in the national media, and it was dumb that they were saying this, but they were still saying it, that you know if Michigan beats Ohio State, they should be in the playoff over Notre Dame. And you know, by the fourth game of the season that year, he had over 50 some snaps, you know and and so uh, and, and then when he got his time, he went and played in a, in a pretty big game. You know, played in the Big Ten championship game. Had five catches for 79 yards in the Big Ten championship game and a touchdown. Went over Northwestern. So my point is, you know, one of the things Urban Meyer's always done, and I know this to be a fact, is, you know, he has the young players that he's like, we've got to play this guy. So he would have like a, you know, like a, a, a list of this guy needs to play five snaps. we got to get this guy at least five snaps. we got to get this guy at least five snaps a game. we got to get this guy at least ten snaps a game, whatever the case may be. And then it was up to the coaches to, to carry it out. And you did not want to not do what Urban Meyer tells you to do. That's just you weren't going to be there long, yeah. you know. And there's that there was that level of accountability at Notre Dame, uh, you know, and and do that. So, you know, when when I look at it, Vince, that's my issue is is there's just no accountability when it comes to this. It be, and the reason is is because the person at fault ultimately is is Brian Kelly because of his his infatuation with playing older players and veteran players because of his infatuation with running a complex pro-style offense. And that's really what it boils down to. And and I remember after Joe Wilkins played well in that first game, how many targets has he had since then? Like two? Right. Right? He was and, on the and field so, for two, two snaps, I think, this past game. Right, right. And, and, you know, yeah, okay, he dropped the ball last week. Well, okay, Javon McKinley dropped like four. So is he never going to see the field again after this? Of course not, you know. But but the point being is, I remember Javon McK- or J- uh, Joe Wilkins was interviewed after that game because it was it was a, Joe Will anything anytime Joe Wilkins does something good, he's going to get a lot of attention because he has a phenomenal story and he's a great kid. Sure. And and I'm good with those stories. But but you know, so people were asking him about stuff and they were asking him about learning. And and when they start talking about as him freshman year, you could just see like the. The, the memory in his head of going back to his freshman year, just the overwhelmed nature of the playbook. And that's, again, that's, a, that's just a flaw of, of what Brian Kelly does. And, and people say, you know, why can't they develop quarterbacks? I think one of the reasons, and I think there's, there's a few, one of the reasons is, is the more experience a quarterback has at Notre Dame, 
the less effective he becomes because they keep putting more and more on him. Why is it that Everett Golson's most productive season was as a redshirt freshman? Same with Deshaun Kaiser. You know, same with it. Look, Ian Book's best stretch of football is still his first four starts. Sure, in 2018, yeah. By far. By far. And if Notre Dame was still playing with the Ian Book that we saw through the first four or five games of his starting career, Notre Dame would have blown Louisville out on Saturday. They, they would be winning a lot. They'd have, they'd have beat a lot of teams, you know, just – but the more he's in the lineup, the more he gets overcoached, the more that's demanded of him, the more pressure that's put on him on a daily basis that, that doesn't need to be there because there's already enough pressure being the quarterback in Notre Dame, well, then guess what? His you-know-what's going to get tight, and he's going to get out in games, and he's going to be so afraid to make a mistake and so afraid to attack people that he's just not going to play to the level that he, he's capable of. Right. And, and that's just a fact, okay? I mean, we're four games in, and Ian Book has three touchdown passes. You know, Ian Book is completing 61% of his passes for 7.6 yards per attempt. Very mediocre pedestrian numbers. He has a, a QBR of, of uh, 133, quarterback efficiency rating, I should say, of, of 133, which is just, I mean, a mediocre, mediocre number. You know, he's 44th in the country, and, and let's keep in mind, there's only 76 teams playing football right now. Yeah, Okay. right. Ian Book is better than those numbers. Agreed. And, and the problem is, I don't even blame Ian Book for this. And, and no, he did not play well on Saturday. But it's, it's once again, you're putting him in a position where, hey, go make plays, even though we're not you know, putting receivers on the field and asking them to, 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 to do whatever they're, they're, they're good at. You know, we're not, we're not going to build our game plan. Here's the thing, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramble and vent a little bit in this show because I am frustrated. You're going to build a two tight end offense, predominantly two tight end offense, which makes a lot of sense because honestly, two of your, I could argue that your two most talented offensive players right now, um, two of your three are tight ends. Sure. Michael Mayer and Tommy Trumbull. Where are they? Why are you not game planning everything you do around them? Because then if they become the focal point, now that takes pressure off Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek and the running backs, right? Why are we not seeing that, right? So it's just typical Brian Kelly led offense and again I'm not even bashing Tommy Reese for this because we saw this when Chip Long was the offensive coordinator we saw this when Mike Denbrock was the offensive coordinator we saw this when Chuck Martin was the offensive coordinator we saw this when we especially saw it when Charlie Molnar was the offensive coordinator because that was Brian Kelly calling the plays right right so what's the one constant theme through all the quarterbacks regression what's the constant theme through all the offensive coordinator quote-unquote problems that they've had it hasn't been them it hasn't been the players it's been Brian Kelly and, and because of Brian Kelly's stubbornness to look in the mirror and say, hey, you know what? I'm part of the problem. How do we fix it? Then, you know, th then this is what you get. Because he lets the defense kind of do their thing. And you saw what Mike Elko, you saw what Bob Diaco did. You saw what Mike Elko's done. You're seeing what Clark Lee is doing. And I would argue top to bottom that the defense in the last three years hasn't had the talent that the offense has had. With all due respect to the players that Notre Dame had on defense last year, there was nobody on defense that's to the level of Chase Claypool and Cole Komet. The NFL draft partly showed that, but so did their production and showed to their dominance. You know, maybe Jeremiah Wusu gets to that point. Same thing in 2018. You know, there was very good players in the defense in 2018. Drew Tranquil was obviously one. Jerry Tillery, first-round pick. But, I mean, you go back and look at the firepower they had on offense and you say, 
why why was that unit so kind of mediocre in big games and the other unit really played well? Because one has Brian Kelly's personality and the other one has the coordinator's personality. And, and to me, that's what it all boils down to. And this is a Brian Kelly problem. I'm, I'm Again, I'm not hammering Ian Book. Ian Book is who he is. And I think Ian Book is held back by the manner in which the, the, these things are going on. You know, you say, well, you know, and I'm tired of that. Well, you know, he's thrown to a bunch of new guys. I think he used the word, uh, you know, didn't he use the word inexperienced? Or we're just kind of learning on yeah, Saturday? Yeah, he said kind of learning, yeah. And I'm like, you got five returning starters on your offense. you got over 100 career starts on your offensive line. You've got a third-year starting quarterback. Javon McKinley is a fifth-year senior. Ben Skronik is a fifth-year senior with over 100 career catches. Tommy Tremble was a key part of your offense last year. You know, Michael Mayer is a freak player. Okay, yeah, he's still learning experience. Well, guess what? Michael Mayer's not your problem. No. He's playing really well. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, all the you know who's playing the best for Notre Dame's offense right now, skill player wise, all the young guys. Who are your three best players on offense right now? The last couple weeks, Williams, Kyron Williams, <laughs> Michael Mayer, and Chris Tyree. Tyree. Yeah, that's right. Freshman, freshman, sophomore. All right, right, because they're just letting those kids play. And it's redshirt freshman because he hardly he played like ten snaps, you know, last year. Kyron Williams, correct. Yeah, right. Correct. Uh, you know, so it's just one of those things where it's just the constant excuse making. Is really what what has done me in. Can can we talk about the excuse making? Of real course, quick? Uh, because I have to bring this up, and I want to get your opinion on it. As I was, you know, going over the highlights from the press conference, and I was putting him into the chat, and you know, this is uh, not word for word, but this is basically what Brian Kelly said about when asked about Ian Book in this game. Okay, quote: You evaluate the body of work. He wins. He's a winner. He hasn't lost at home. When it's time to make plays, he makes huge third down conversions. When the game is on the line, you can count on Ian Book to make plays, unquote. What are your thoughts about that particular when if I if I'm as a media player or media member and I say, can you evaluate Ian Book and his play today, maybe some of his struggles in the game? And that's what is said. I think that is Brian Kelly, in my opinion, has made Ian Book to be sort of the enemy of Notre Dame fans who want to hold the program to the high standard. And I don't really blame Ian Book. And I'm kind of shifting my focus a little bit, but I'm going to talk to your specifically to your point. This notion that all he does is win is a really incredibly frustrating conversation to yes. have because. My thing is, and and when when I was on WSBT last week, Darren Pritchett made a great point. He said, you know, you look at baseball, you know, there's guys who have an ERA of two and they'll win 12 games because their team stinks. And then you have a guy that wins 19 games and his ERA's creeping up to four. You know, it's like winning is a team game. And and my question is, does any did anybody watch the game on Saturday and say that Notre Dame won it because of Ian Book? And and Brian Kelly has so lowered the bar for what it what it means to play at a high level that it's like, you know, he Ian Book did things on Saturday that he's supposed to do. Right. On third and three, when you're backed up and they completely lose contain, you're supposed to step up into the pocket. You, you know what I mean? Like and again, I give him credit for the third down run that he made for the touchdown. I I think back to the twenty eighteen season when he made a great third down play against a run against USC. So yeah, he'll make some of those plays and, and but but here's my question is what games are we evaluating him by? You you talk about being a winner. You say he's never lost a game at home. Well, let me ask you a question. How many teams has Ian Kelly or has Ian Book played against at home that finished the season ranked? 
The answer is one. Navy. Navy. I mean, you're you're so 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 Ian Book is a winner because he has beaten a two seasons worth of unranked opponents at home. Right. You say, okay, well, you know, he he beat Stanford two years ago at home in in his first home start, and Stanford at the time was a top ten team, and I thought Ian Book played great that game, and and I'd be willing to even say, hey, you know what, I'll give him credit for that game because that was a top ten Stanford team, and if Stanford loses to Notre Dame, they probably finished the year ranked, even though they finished that year uh, nine and four, I believe, and it was an unimpressive nine and four. You know, they lost four out of five games, beginning with Notre Dame. They lost a week later at home to Utah, 40-21. to 21. A couple weeks after that, they lost to Washington State at home. And a couple weeks after that, or a week after that, they lost to Washington on the road. Right? So, you know, who was Stanford that year? What was Stanford's big win that year? You know, what 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 are you basing that team on? You, you know, I mean, they beat Oregon. Okay, that's a good win. All right? But after that, what's, what's their great wins? Arizona State, UCLA, Cal. So, you know, but but I'll take that version of Ian Book if we could get him back. Sure, I'll take that version of Ian Book. So, but but you say, oh, well, he makes the plays he needs to make, and and, and point to Virginia Tech last year. Okay, yeah. he made the plays at the end of the game he needed to make, but what about had he made ones? plays yeah. for the first three and a half quarters, they wouldn't have been in that situation. Exactly. If he would have played better on Saturday, they wouldn't have had to be in the situation so where he had to make a couple third down throws at the end of the game. Right. This was again. This if you'd have beat Clemson, if they if they go beat Clemson twelve to seven. And Ian Book plays exactly the way that he did on Saturday. I'll praises praise sing his praises to high heaven, because when you look at the talent that he would be facing, you you expect them to make plays against him. This was of a course. terrible defense. Terrible. A terrible defense. And Notre Dame until the final drive was under 100 yards passing, and it was not for a lack of effort. <laughs> You know, because Ian Book even said after the game that they were focused on trying to throw the ball more. They threw the ball a lot early in the game. They the second did. half, they realized we can't complete a pass. And and then the excuses came in. Well, you know, Braden Lindsay's hurt. It was very windy. It was windy. That's my uh, favorite one. You know, it's like, oh, my God. Okay, so so when you're going with the wind, then throw the ball more downfield. Right. Don't throw the ball into the – you know, teams do that all the time. Good coaches have to deal with that stuff. It's either windy or rainy or this or that or the other thing, right? And that's what football is. This, you know, maybe we should ask them for like a rain delay or a wind delay, and we'll play it on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's just. But see, that's the thing is, I've seen Nick Saban after 20, 30 point wins just rip his team in the media. I've seen Dabo be critical of his team after wins. I've seen Urban Meyer lay into his team after wins because it's not about the win. It's about, and this is where Brian Kelly, this is why Brian Kelly will not win a championship at Notre Dame until he changes. It's not about beating Louisville 12 to 7. It's about the process. It's about a standard of excellence that you demand every single day, beginning with yourself. And when your football team goes out and plays a one and three team and you went with a terrible defense and you want to sing the praises of your quarterback and your offense, you've lost me. Now, if you want to say, hey, you know what? Like his quote after the game was, you know, saw a lot of really good things out there. If you then follow that up with how great the defense played great. and then follow that up with, but we got to play better than that on offense if we're going to keep winning because that's a fact. What's so wrong? He was more than happy to criticize the receivers after the game. He was more than happy to criticize the defense after the Florida State game. Why is he so unwilling to be critical of play calling 
or game planning or the quarterback. It's beyond me. It's absolutely beyond me. And it's just the excuse making that he constantly makes. The lowering of the bar, the lowering of the, lowering of the standard at Notre Dame is what frustrates me. And this is another example of it. Vince, think about this. Notre Dame's four opponents are a combined five and 16. Five and 16. Mm-hmm. Their three power five opponents are four and 12. And in those three games, they have yet to play well enough to get any young players that wouldn't normally play in the game. Right. That's embarrassing. That is. And 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 and, and then I got to listen to people say to me and I got to listen to Brian Kelly say, "Well, you know, we'll just keep winning." But here's the problem. Here's what Nick Saban understands. Here's what Urban Meyer understands. Here's what Dabo Sweeney Sweeney understands. There's a standard of excellence that leads to championships. And if we don't meet that standard of excellence against certain teams, then we can't possibly be able to live up to that standard of excellence when we play the best teams. And, and that's just a fact. And now again, everybody's going to stub their toe every now and then. But this is a consistent theme for Notre Dame, right? And, and that's my issue, is you struggled on offense against Duke, right? That, that's not a good thing, right? And yeah, Duke's, Duke's got a quality football team, but here's a, here's a little thing for you. There's Notre Dame scored 27 points against Duke. It's about what everybody else has scored. Boston College scored 26. Virginia scored 38. Virginia Tech scored 38. Syracuse scored 24. North Carolina Carolina State scored 31. So you scored about the same as Boston College in Phil Dracovic's first start, and that was at Duke, and you were about where – you were closer to where Syracuse was than you were NC State, Virginia Tech, or Virginia. Mm -hmm. Right? And say, okay, you know, it's just one game. Okay, yeah, it was just one game. All right. Played great. You had, you had a. I mean, if really, if we're going to be honest about it, the, the offense has had one good half this year against a team with a pulse. That's it. And that was the first half against Florida State. And then they went out and scored seven points in the second half and made that game closer than it should have been. And they couldn't get, you know, their backups in the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, South Florida just lost to Temple. That was Temple's second game of the year. Temple lost to Navy the week before. Navy stinks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like. What's the standard at Notre Dame? That's my thing. And, and I'm not saying Brian Kelly should have gone in a profanity-laced tirade in the press conference because of how bad his offense played. But why not? Why Look, if if Ian Book is the reason you're winning and losing games, right, then then why why are you unwilling to say, you know, if he doesn't play well? I mean, I, I can't remember the last time Brian Kelly said anything critical about Ian Book. And, it, and it's frustrating. It's not even about Ian Book. Again, it's just it's about Brian Kelly because the standard – that Notre Dame needs to live up to to win games and win championships has been lowered because Brian Kelly is perfectly fine just beating the teams they're supposed to. And it's like almost like he's accepted that they're not going to beat the Clemsons and the Georges and those kind of teams. Because, hey, Mr., uh, hey, Mr., our quarterback makes plays when, when we need him to. Oh, I remember a game in Athens, Georgia last year where the offense got the ball at midfield with two minutes thing. left in the game. What happened? Uh, nothing. That was the what problem. happened. <laughs> what happened? I mean, you know what I mean. And so, so what about what about when the offense needed a spark last year against Michigan? Where were the big plays then? It was raining. It wasn't his fault. It was raining. It was Chip Long's fault for some reason. I'm I'm not sure how it was Chip Long's fault, but it was clearly Chip Long's fault. You know, I mean, Clemson. How about Clemson? Defense makes a big play early in the game. You get the ball at midfield. You get a great play call. Miles Boykin's open on a post route. What happens? 
Ian Book's unafraid to pull the trigger. Afraid to pull the trigger. Gets sacked, fumbles, clumps, and picks it up. Goes down and kicks field goal. I mean, shouldn't those be the games that you're being held to? Where where's Ian Book making the big plays in those games? This is Notre Dame, right? Last I mean, time I checked. I mean, so 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 are we all willing to just accept the fact that Notre Dame should not hold itself to the same standard that that Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame can't can't get can't get to the level where they're demanding what Clemson's demanding of their program, really? I mean, uh, this is a team that during Brian Kelly's tenure gave up seventy to West Virginia in a bowl game. They figured it out. Right? So, uh, it, it's just, it's frustrating for me. I because don't blame you. This team has way more talent. It, 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 I mean, Chase Claypool is an example. What did, what did I say all last year, Vince? If he's coached up properly, yes. he could be amazing. Yes. And, and I wrote about it in my pre draft analysis, uh, everything. This kid doesn't know how to run a post route. And now he's in the NFL, and, and he's getting off the line, and he's snapping off the top of his routes. And he's doing all these kind of things, and guess what? He's he's arguably the best rookie receiver in the NFL in a great receiver year. You know, and and, and so those are the frustrating things for me. Is it's just this? It's just I can see it, and, and I know a lot of I know I've talked to a lot of alums who have seen it. They're just. They have too much love and respect for the university to, to be critical of Kelly publicly. And the problem is Brian Kelly doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And he surrounded himself with a bunch of coaches who honestly, I think, are unwilling to say it. And the one guy that I know he had that was willing to say it to him, he just fired. By by the way, last year I believe Notre Dame's record, uh, Notre Dame's opponents after four games – Last year were fourteen and six. Notre Dame's opponents through the same stretch this year are five and sixteen. Notre Dame averaged more points per game. I'm just talking offensive points per game. I've taken out defensive touchdowns. They've averaged they're averaging more points per game and more yards per play this year or last year than they did this year. Remember Cole Komet didn't play two of those games. Yeah. It's true. And, and, you know, so, so what's improved? What's gotten better? The offensive line's gotten better, but now we've seen a dip at other places mm-hmm. and it's, it's out of stubbornness. And, and that's what frustrates me. So, you know, yeah, we've talked a lot of big picture stuff today, but this is the problem. And they're going to go out and beat Pitt because Pitt stinks. They're, Notre Dame's going to go to five and zero this weekend, and then they're going to go to six and zero the next weekend and they will not have beaten a single team with a winning record. <laughs> Think about that. The Sad best the opponent they played at the time they played was South Florida. Record-wise. I think yeah. South Florida was 1-1 one one when they played. No, they were 1-0. and oh. They had beaten Citadel. They have since lost to Notre Dame by 52, Cincinnati by 21, East Carolina by 20, and they just blew a lead against Temple this weekend with 782 people in the stands. Yeah. That was that was the team that had a winning record when Notre Dame played them, South Florida. Right. You know, so again, that's that's the standard. You're to beat a one and four Louisville team by five, 12 to seven. You know, I'm sorry. That's just that's not right. that's not something you should be 
you know, getting up frustrated with with people at the at, after games. Well, that's a lot of good things out there. You know, it's just it's unacceptable and and it's disingenuous, in my opinion too. And and the reason it matters, the reason I'm 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 frustrated is not because it's one bad game. I don't care about one bad game. I really don't. If Notre Dame was doing the things I think they should have been doing the first three games of the year and just stub their toe against against a team like Syracuse. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Again, that stuff happens, Vince. Yeah, oh yeah. We see it all the time. I remember the. I think it was what what year was it? The Bama won the title where they where they barely beat Elaine Kiffin. Was it was it 2011? Was it 2012 when they played Notre Dame? Yes. No, it was 2011. It was 2011. I think is when it was. Okay, so it's 2012. No, wait a minute. When they played hold on. Notre let me Dame. think about this. Was it was it 2000? It was 2009. Yeah, it was 2009. They beat Tennessee twelve to ten, and I believe that game they blocked like two extra points and a field goal or something like that to beat Tennessee. And that was that was a, a Tennessee team that went seven and six. I think that was a Lane Kiffin Tennessee team. You know, you, we could find plenty of examples where teams went out against pretty mediocre teams and, and, and laid an egg. And the the credit that Brian Kelly deserves is five years ago they lost that game on Saturday. That's true. And he deserves credit for that because they don't lose those games anymore. They don't lose to Tulsa and Navy and Pitt and teams like that anymore. Northwestern, Louisville 2014. They don't lose those games anymore. And Brian Kelly deserves a lot of credit for that. But the problem is Brian Kelly has got to a place where I think he's comfortable. And he's comfortable in the because if he is going to demand more, it means his focus needs to be on things that I don't think he wants his focus to be on. And he needs to make tough decisions that I think he's willing, unwilling to make because it's going to put him in an uncomfortable position. For example, when you hire a guy like Joe Moorhead to run your offense, just for example, hypothetically, there's a level of control you have to give up. Well, sure, because he's a veteran. Correct. And because he's a dominant personality. Correct. And instead, you hire a young guy that you know will do it exactly the way you want to do it. Well, that's, the, that's exactly the problem. Because the way that Brian Kelly wants to do it isn't going to win you a championship. Hasn't won him a championship. And and not only that, in majority of the time they've even been on the big stage, they've been embarrassed. Georgia's the only exception. Miami embarrassed them. Michigan last year embarrassed them. Clemson embarrassed them. Alabama embarrassed them. And Ohio State embarrassed them. And that was a Notre Dame team that had loaded with NFL players. But you couldn't compete that game because of a decision that you made as the head coach about who was going to run your defense. When everybody else saw it. So the whole trust the coaches thing, that was the same thing people said to me when Brian Van Gorder was hired as the defensive coordinator. I said, this is not a good hire. And when I criticized him, oh, you're just jealous. Okay, yeah, I'm jealous of Brian Van Gorder. Okay. I don't even coach defense. You know? But guess what happened? Look what happened. You know what I mean? And, and so it's just these are the things that Brian Kelly's unwilling to do, Vince, and that's why games like Saturday happen. And, and again, these aren't anomalies. So don't talk to me about it being an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. This happens way too much, way too much. And there's a level of we're good, we're good enough that Brian Kelly has accepted. And it, and it all goes back to the comment he made. I think it was after Virginia, it was either after Michigan or after Virginia Tech last year. When Brian Kelly said, when we win all of our games, if we win all of our games in November, which included Duke, Navy, Boston College, Stanford, right? Murderer's Row. <laughs> if we win all of our games in November, everyone's going to be happy. And that right there 
is is the ultimate. That's Brian Kelly telling you who he is. Look, y'all, so what do we lost to Georgia? So what if we lost to Michigan? We're going to beat all these crap teams we go and play in November. We're going to be 10-2, and everybody's going to be happy. Because that's acceptable at Notre Dame now. Right, that's the level. And if it wasn't acceptable, he wouldn't have said what he said after the game on Saturday, and he wouldn't continue to do the things that he's been doing his whole career. And now that they don't have a Chase Claypool to bail him out, and they don't have um, a Will Fuller to bail him out, they don't have Michael Floyd and Tyler Eifert to bail him out, bail him out then, then it, all of a sudden it, it gets exposed. And now you have to really coach guys up. You got to coach Javon McKinley up more than you did Chase Claypool. Oh, you yeah. can't get away with things physically that Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin get, get sure. away with. You got to coach up Kevin Austin. You got to coach up Xavier Watts. You got to coach up Jordan Johnson. They don't have time for that. They want the they want the guy that just hey we can go teach him the scheme because it's about the scheme. And every every single good champion, every single championship caliber coach in the country will tell you that knowing how to play is more important than the scheme. Your kids got to know what to do, where to go, how to do it, and they got to play like their hair's on fire. And it's not about the great play call. I know for a fact there were times that Chip Long would call plays that just weren't great play calls, but guys would go out and make plays because there was a, at least a level of, of, you know, for him being this mean guy, there was a level of expectation where if you didn't do it, if you didn't do things to the level he wanted it, he was gonna he was gonna put somebody else in there. Mm-hmm. And he did that. He set that standard when he benched Brandon Wimbush, who, by the way, has more wins over top fifteen teams than Ian Book does. Just saying. So, you know, and again, even then, though, there was still a level of stubbornness with him last year at quarterback. So he, he, he is not faultless here. And, and, and that's kind of where, where, where the rant kind of ends, Vince, is, is that's where my frustration comes from on Saturday. It's not that they beat Louisville 12-7 in itself, in and of itself, because there were a lot of things to take out of that game. And we'll dive into those here in a second. But there was a lot of good to take out of that game. The problem is, like we see every year, there's always something you look at with Notre Dame and say, that's championship level. But then the other things that he doesn't address that could be, but he holds it back, is and it's something different every year. In 2015, they had a national championship caliber offense. But his decisions with the strength coach and the defensive coordinator cost that team the ability to compete for a championship. 2018. I, you know, I say similar things, you know, in, in uh, 2019, same thing. Not having a standard that people need to live up to, including yourself, on a daily basis is keeping your program back. And I think he's comfortable with where he is. And there's a lot, and sadly, there's more and more and more Notre Dame fans every year that are just fine being 10 to 2. Because you know why? They remember how bad it was under Ty and Davey and Charlie. Sure. Oh, but yeah. the reality is, the standard bearers for Notre Dame success at Notre Dame are not Ty Willingham, Bob Davy, and Charlie Weiss. Being better than them doesn't mean a thing. It's just going to keep you from getting fired. Your standard should be, why am I not where Lou Holtz was yet? Why am I not where Era was yet? Why am I not, you know, oh, well, things are different now. Yeah, because Notre Dame was getting 1.5 GPA kids back in 88. Okay, sure. All right. Notre Dame kids didn't have to go to class in 1990. 88, 89, which I know for I'm saying sarcastically because I, I know players from those er- that era and they darn sure had to go to class. 
but there was a level of expectations, a level of a level of perfection that they strive for on a daily basis. And if you didn't live up to it, Lou was going to be there on you, mm-hmm. and your teammates were going to be there on you. It was a culture of of accountability. Yes, accountability and in a, a confidence level of we're going to dominate everybody we play. Because part of tearing you down is is building them back up, and that's where I think Lou was masterful talking of his former players. I don't get that same sense from Brian Kelly. I think there's a lot of tearing down every day in practice, but there's not a lot of building back up. And I just watch this team, and I see a team that just offensively just doesn't have an identity. And, and let's get to the game, Vince, because okay. I think this ties into the game. No, you talk about the identity, and I and I think – if you ask the average fan at Notre Dame, or a fan of Notre Dame, I should say, they, they would say that the identity is is developing into the run game. And, right. And, and I think that that would be, for the most part, true. I, I, but I think, you know, the fact that they came out of the gate throwing the ball so much uh, makes me second-guess that thought, because they are good at running the ball, but is that their identity? Uh, right. And I think at the end of the day, yes, you know, on Saturday, that they did have success running the game, running the ball, and, and I think that's where you want to start with what you saw that was good. Right, because to me, an identity isn't, hey, we're really good along the offensive line. Correct. An identity is, it's an attitude with which you play. Like the 2017 team had an identity. They, they that was a group that, that again, you say, boy, the things they they want to run the ball, establish line of scrimmage, and here's what Chip Long was going to do with you every week with that team. They were going to throw it over your head. I mean, you you knew it, and and they were gonna. There was a there was a, but it wasn't it wasn't just a Chip Long thing. It was who was the standard bearer for that team? It wasn't Brian Kelly? It wasn't Chip Long? It was Quentin Nelson. And and I remember talking to you know Alex Bars for example, when he took over in 2018, he said you know part of the reason that we were so good on offense last year is if it was a Tuesday practice, and I didn't bring it, Q was gonna was gonna be on me. And not only was it on, but Q was going to bring it on Tuesday. And I had to live up to his. I mean, he's our best player, and he's bringing it on Tuesday. That means I got to bring it on Tuesday, right? And so the identity goes so much deeper than, hey, we're good at running the football. Because that doesn't necessarily – so what happens when you get into a game against Clemson and they're good enough to, to slow your run game down? What happens then? Because an identity goes deeper than that. Identity goes into a level of accountability and expectation that you have for how you go about your business every day. And when you don't hold yourself to, accountable to that, like, you know, and, and God bless Ian Book. And, and, and I know a lot of this comes on him, and he bears the brunt of a lot of this. But, you know, I hear him talking after the games, like, you know, well, the first thing I evaluate myself is, is by winning. Don't give me the head coach BSing in. You know what I mean? Because I, I hope that he hasn't been – beaten down to the point where he's acceptable because the champions don't look at a game like Saturday and come away happy. I remember right. talking to Jeremiah Wusu this summer. I did an interview with him, Vince, and he was talking about, you know, after the Iowa State game, he was he was mad at himself because there was like four or five plays he didn't make. And he wasn't giving – I mean, look, I've been doing this a long time. I can know, I know when a kid – and especially at Notre Dame, I know when a kid's giving me, you know, program speak and when a kid is telling me he's talking to me. And, and he's being honest. And, and it was like, you know, that's kind of what you want. Yeah, we ran for 250 yards, but we should have gone for 320. And if I wouldn't have missed that one block on second and two in the first quarter, we would have gone for 50 there instead of four. You know what I mean? And and so an identity is more than just you're physical and you can run on teams. But it is fun to watch. 
And, and that's what I liked about what we saw on Saturday, Vince, was for the second straight game in a row, in my opinion, I can't. I thought Liam Eikenberg was really good on Saturday. I thought he was probably the closest that there was to just playing great football. But it was more about they played really well as a group of five. And, and honestly, the way they're playing right now, it's really a group of seven. Because the tight ends are blocking at an extremely high level. Well, yeah, and they're not. Unfortunately, they're not asking the tight ends to do much in the pass game. They're extensions of the offensive line right now. And, right, and, and that and a that's good one. an identity. Yes, right. So agreed. an identity is we're a two tight end offense. So we're going to build our system right. around that two tight end offense. They're not doing that. Right. Just being good at running the ball is not building your offense around that's your right. two tight end set. That's right. You know, it, it's it's you know your tight ends got two catches and your running backs combined for three. Mm-hmm. So that's five catches to your best players. And, and and let me reiterate the fact that I would be so fine if that was Notre Dame's offense, as far as a two tight end offense that that stretched the field and and ran the ball with effectiveness and and all that. If you build your offense around the tight ends and the running backs and the offensive line, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I I am. I think that's a good offense, frankly, because those are the best players on your team right now. But they're they're not doing that. Right, and and that's an identity, Vince. It's building around the tight ends. It's not just having two tight ends, being good at running the ball, and then calling certain plays, it, it, because that's who we are. No, right. it's it's adapting who you are to fit your personnel. Okay, so Javon McKinley and Ben Skronik are not dudes, right? They're sure. not Chase Claypool. They're not future high draft picks. But you know what? Michael Mayer and Tommy Trumbull are. Mm-hmm. So build around them. You've got two running backs that that one was a literally a wide receiver in high school longer than he was a running back in Kyron Williams, <laughs> right? Now and, and now he's had some drops, right? So he's got to clean that part of his game up. Uh, the other one is your fastest player, and and he's a pretty dynamic weapon, right? Like, hey, did you watch that wheel route that Louisville hit on you? I bet you number twenty five could do that. Uh, you know easily, what I mean? And yeah. I I seen him do it in high school, you know, and and, and so. That's an identity. It's here's who we have, and here's what we're going to build around, because then that allows you to adapt each week to what your opponents do and don't do, and you can game plan around them. And then now you can make those other receivers complementary pieces. Now you don't need Javon McKinley to be Chase Claypool. You don't need Jordan Johnson to know a million plays. You don't need Xavier Watts to know a million plays. You don't need Joe Wilkins to be Will Fuller or Braden Lindsey to be what, you know, or whatever the case may be. It's, hey, how do we fit these other guys around those players? And they're not doing that, and they need to do that. And you know, maybe they're hiding them until Clemson, which would be stupid. <laughs> yeah, um, no you doubt. know, but but I could see them doing something like that. Let's not really put our tight end package on display until Clemson, because we know our schedule sucks until then, right? But you know, you're you're you can't do that because you're not developing your players, right. and you're not you can't guarantee that you're going to win those games. Because as I pointed out earlier, the Clemson is is going to be up for the big games. Sure. It's the game against Pitt and Syracuse that you get worried about, right? Ohio State's going to pound Michigan every year, but you worry about them losing to Iowa and Purdue, two team, the, the last two teams in the conference to beat them. Not Penn State, right? Not Michigan State, not Michigan. It's been their last two conference losses. Seriously, think about that. Or Purdue and Iowa, right? And so you, you look at it and say that's an identity that Notre Dame needs to establish, and they need to figure that out real fast. And then, and then you can build your receiver. You can fit your receivers into sure. that. But, but that's going to be the thing. But, but the thing I like is this: this offensive line is developing a level of consistency of expectation and, and consistency of performance, and not performance from a X's and O standpoint, necessarily an execution standpoint, but a consistency of performance from you know based on what we've seen so far. And again, for the last. 
14 quarters. Because, you know, again, first game of the year, first half against Duke, pretty good defensive line. They, they weren't great, but then the second half they were really good, and then the last three games they've been excellent. So for 14 straight quarters we've seen a physical line that's playing well together, that's getting to the next level, that's executing at a very high level. And when one guy makes a mistake, it's rare. Uh, it doesn't happen, and then they kind of pick each other up after that. It's playing at an extremely high level. The backs continue to play at an extremely high level, and they needed those guys in the game on Saturday. So, you know, to me, you're putting Ian Book in a complete game manager situation, and I think Ian Book can be better than that, and you're going to need him to be better than that to win some of the, some couple of the games that are coming down the schedule because, hey, guess what? You're not beating North Carolina 12 to 7. I don't care how good your defense right, is. Right, right. You know, and, and some like people are saying, well, you know, oh, you know, Ian Book just wins. And look at Phil Jacoby. He's got two losses already. Well, if Boston College's defense would have held Virginia Tech to seven points, those 14 points that their offense scored would have been good enough to win. I mean, that's just such a useless thing to say. So is Ian Book better than Pat Mahomes, who I think, if I did, when I did the math earlier today, I did this in a response to somebody on Twitter. You know, it was I, – I think Ian Book, when I look back at Patrick Mahomes – actually, I'm going to look this up now because it was, it was kind of really, really funny. And, and of course, the, the goalpost got moved in the response to, to the conversation, not shockingly. But, you know, Pat Mahomes was like 17 and 16 as a starter at Notre Dame. I mean, at, at, I wish he was in there, and that'd have been a lot of fun. Um, you know, <laughs> well, he, 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 sure he, he was would seventeen. Have too, yeah, but. he was seventeen and six. True, he was seventeen and sixteen as a starter at Texas Tech. Yeah, Daniel Jones, the number six pick in the country or in the NFL two years ago, was seventeen and nineteen. You, you know, Ian Book has fewer college losses, I believe, than Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. So. So really, that's the standard. You're, you're gonna. So if you're gonna apply that in any situation, where he just wins games. Well, okay. So Pat Mahomes didn't win games. Does that mean Pat Mahomes wasn't a good player? No, winning is a team game. Sometimes you got to win because of different. And that's the great thing teams do. There's been games where Trevor Lawrence has had an off day, but other parts of the team will pick him up. And there's days where the the defense doesn't play well, but then Trevor Lawrence and the offense will pick him up. That's that's what a great team does, right? And and so to me, that's what winning does. And this whole well, he's just a winner. Okay, I want to see him do that against a good team, because the next time he does that against a good team will be the first time he does that against that's a good right. team. And again, I'm not blaming Ian Book. No, I got you. Because this has been a problem way before Ian Book was at Notre Dame. So anyway, so that's that. But 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 the good thing is, if they make the corrections, those corrections, the skill player corrections. The scheme corrections, the what's the focal point of our offense correction, Vince, you know this as an offensive coach. That can be done within two weeks. Oh, yeah. If they work on building the offense the right way and working the rotation the right way, the next two weeks against Pitt and Georgia Tech, they can get that part of their offense going so when, Cle- when, they go, when Clemson comes to town, they're, ro- they're ready to rock and roll. Sure. No question about it. It's a lot easier to do that than it is last year where the offensive line's not playing physical, they're catching, they're, they don't have the mindset to be great. You can't fix that in a week. The offensive line is where it needs to be. The skill needs to come around, and it, in my in my experience, it's a lot easier to get skill going than it is to get your line going. So the foundation is there. That's the encouraging thing. If they can make these corrections over the next couple weeks, this offense has a chance to be really good because the offensive line, and we saw it again on Saturday, when you put the game on their shoulders, it's a W because Notre Dame got the ball. With seven minutes and fifty-five seconds left in the game, yeah. winning by five. Yeah, and Louisville's offense 
didn't get back on the field till it was handshake time. Yeah, that's right. And that was actually very impressive. I, mm-hmm. I, you rode what is the strength of your team, finally. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I will say that I'm not even sure that the coaches understand what the identity of this team is yet, just based on what the emphasis appears to be right. at the beginning of each game. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to dive too far into it, but I just I feel like they're they're almost still searching for that identity whereas, you know, Joe Blow on the outside is like, "Hello, it's your line and the right. run game." Right. But how do you build it around it? Sure. That's the thing is no, like absolutely. how do you complement it? And like you said, Vince, they've got a great foundation to build around. Sure. But now build around it. And that's the thing that you're saying is and we're on the same page as the foundation is there to have an identity. And that's the line. That's We're going to run it down your throat. But then how do you do that? How do you build that? Because right now, even even with the run game, Vince, I'm curious if, if you agree or disagree with me on this. When I break it down and I, and I dive into the film, it's still more about just Notre Dame's players are way better than the opponent's players. There's still things I, I watch. So, like, for example, against Clemson last or Florida State last week, the defensive end is just crashing down and there's no one to block them. But they just can't tackle Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. They're not running read zones. They're not running RPOs. And I, and I say to myself, and this is again, this is why it's a it's a standard. Not and it's the process. It's not the result. Right. The result isn't a twelve to seven win. The process is 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 problematic because if you try to run that stuff, when when you've got Clemson's players crashing off the edge, it's tackle for loss. I don't care how good Kyron Williams is and Chris Tyree. Exactly. It's it, it's it's okay. Louisville stacked the box. All game against Notre Dame, and it didn't matter because Notre Dame just out talented them. Sure, schematically Notre Dame didn't necessarily do things to hurt Louisville. They right. just there was plays. Honestly, Vince, you go watch the film. There were plays where the guard and center, or the guard and tackle, depending on the play, would work a combo block where they would take one defensive lineman and drive him into two linebackers. So literally, two guys were blocking three defenders. Correct. They were bringing more than Notre Dame had. Yes. And I remember one outside zone player where I think it was Hainsey, and it was might have been Hainsey and Kramer or Hainsey and a tight end. I can't remember which one, but it was Hainsey and somebody. And they literally took the edge player and drove him into two linebackers. Right. And, and, and it was just like they were literally outnumbered on that side, and they still gained like eight yards. Right. Because they're just so dominant. But we saw this in 2017. They had, remember, first game against Temple that year, 400, over 400 yards rushing. Over 400 yards rushing against Temple. That was a Temple team, by the way, that went to a bowl game that year. It's not like the the bad teams they played so far. Two weeks after that, against Boston College, 515 yards rushing against a Boston College team that had two future NFL first or second or second or third round draft picks. Remember Zach Allen and Harold Landry, right? 515 yards rushing on 51 carries. In between that, Georgia, 55 yards. 1.5 yards per carry. Because you didn't have the 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 overall package to win a team like Georgia's good enough to say, we got more than you can block, and you're not going to take our defensive end and drive him into two linebackers like you did to that garbage defense at Louisville or South Florida or Florida State. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. So what do you do to beat it when that's happening? When your offensive line, your five-man offensive line, can only block five. Right. What do you do then? Okay. And that's where the identity needs to come from. And so Saturday was an impressive performance from an offensive line. So the, the that part is there. The tight ends are very, very good. Build around them. Build around your backs. And, and we started to see a little bit of that on Saturday. We saw some two-back stuff. Now you got to really start, start getting it going because you don't want Chris Tyree's first wheel route to necessarily be against Clemson 
right? Or you, you not doesn't have to just be a wheel route, but but you get my point. But mm-hmm. so that foundation is there, and I think we saw we saw what should be happening on offense. We saw from the Irish defense. If you catch my drift on that, I do. So let's talk. Let's talk quickly uh, about what you liked about the defense. I mean, we know the defense played well as a whole. Uh, you outlined at the beginning how they held Louisville to all these crazy low numbers and. Uh, in the Satterfield era, lowest points, et cetera. So we know as a group that they did well. Um, individually, just give me a couple, uh, you know, guys that maybe, or I should say positions that maybe didn't live up to expectations and then maybe a position that did. I don't think there was any position that lived, didn't live up to expectations overall. I think the Buck linebacker is a major problem right now. Uh, Shane Simon has started three games now. Right, yeah. and uh, he has not played well in any of them, and this was to me by far his worst performance. It, I mean, it you, stuck you, out on on it, live, I should say. It, it really did, it, yeah. and that's what I was laughing. I was looking at the Pro Football Focus stats, and they had him down for zero missed tackles. Oh wow! I I will no longer ever use Pro Football Focus again. They had him as the fourth highest graded run defender for the Notre Dame defense. It was just it was just it's getting it's getting embarrassing what they're doing. Wow! But you know, you look at the touchdown drive that that Louisville had as a perfect example. He he on a second and twelve, he misses a tackle in space that would have resulted in like a third and eight or nine instead of a third and five uh and so then of course they convert the first down then a fourth and three he bites inside gets sucked inside easily blocked they get right outside of him for a, a fourth down conversion and then you know, th- four or five plays later he just gets smoked on a wheel route to JVN hawkins for a 29 yard gain gets him down to the one yard line and they score a point when a 12 to 5 12 7 game that's huge you know that, that that's huge yeah and it's just been a problem all year i mean he, he's just not making plays he doesn't, you know, the Buck linebacker. I mean, this is the position where this has been your playmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, Osmar Bilal last year over ten tackles for loss. You know that that that's that's a that's a pretty good performance, right? I don't I don't think I don't think that Shane Simon has a tackle for loss yet this year. You know, he started three games and he's got five tackles. Well, here here's what I've I've seen from thirty three uh, for Notre Dame and Shane Simon. I I've saw what you're talking about. The fourth down, he got sucked inside, and it was just an easy like the the guy that was blocking him just got in his way. I, mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't even try to fight through it, Mm-mm. and that hole was gigantic, and that was his hole to step up into. And I feel like even if he would have aggressively taken on the block, yeah, he could have prevented that. We've seen easy, Tavon Coney. We right. saw Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil do that before. They right. Just, okay, you're in between me and that guy. I'm just going to drive you into. Yes, him. and it looked it just looked like he's like, oh, you got me. <laughs> you know, it was, that was that was frustrating. There's an uncertainty there with what he's doing. Sure, and yeah. and and the other thing I saw a lot of outside of the getting burnt on the wheel route was he would approach the pile late and and do a lot of clapping. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he was there, mm-hmm. but late a right. lot. I just remember seeing him a, a, around the end of the play, uh, if that makes sense. And that and what that tells me is his his play diag- diagnostic. Uh, is just not fast enough. There, there's mm-hmm. too much indecision there. Uh, he's getting too much into his head, and he's not able to diagnose plays fast enough, and he's not getting to where he needs to be in a right. timely fashion. That's a huge problem. Right. It, it is, and, and especially there, especially at Buck. Yes. Because that is such an important position. And you know, they're going to have to figure something out real fast at that position because, again, that you, you do not want to be struggling at the Buck linebacker position going into the – Clemson game you just you just don't sure. and and what's confusing to me is you know Jack Kaiser and Jack Lamb both played at a much higher level in that game against South Florida than than we've seen the, the, 
the other Buck linebackers. And, and even with Maris, Maris Luafau, I mean, Maris is making a lot of mistakes, but he, but he, all, he plays really hard, mm-hmm. and he'll make plays. I'd rather deal with that because you know, Shane Simon, he doesn't get off blocks. He, he, he doesn't know how to take on blocks. He yeah. doesn't know how to manipulate. Okay, they got me on this, but to your point, so I'm going to do this. I'm just going to blow this guy up so that way right. maybe I can force a bounce and then you know maybe Jeremiah Wusu or, or, or Kyle Hamilton or Sean Crawford or Houston Griffith or somebody else can come you know rally and make that play. He doesn't understand that, and, and, and they're, he's just not um, – I mean, Jack Lamb has five tackles on the year. It's the same amount as Shane Simon. He basically played in one game. Yeah, right. He played in one game, and you know he had as many special teams tackles on Saturday as as Shane Simon had. Yeah, on defense, that's that's a pro- that's problematic. So they're gonna have to figure something else. They're gonna have to figure something out real quick because you know the the uh, the benefit of the doubt that I get that I give Clark Lee is gonna run out if we yeah. see another game like this. I agree, him. and I and and the benefit of the doubt is high with Clark Lee. He he usually. You know, he, what he did with Asmar Bilal last year was incredible. And mm-hmm. and I give him all the credit in the world. But he's he's losing his uh, his his pebbles in the jar, as they right, say. Right, because by game three yeah. last year, he was playing at a pretty high uh, – Asmar was playing at a pretty high level. Sure. I mean, he bounced back pretty quick from, from his poor place. They're, they're going to have to figure that out. I think the defensive line – is a is a story of two uh, of two it's, it's two stories really to, to tell the one is number one is I thought run game wise they were brilliant I thought the ends yeah. did a great job of setting the edge they they just they couldn't get their stretch going like they Notre Dame struggled to defend the outside zone against Florida State and this is where I thought you know great coaches show themselves and we saw that with the Notre Dame staff because they were everything they were bad at on Saturday against Florida State they were great at on Saturday against Louisville yeah that's called Identifying the problem, yeah. Self scout, man. Admitting we we didn't do this well. Let let's figure out what the solutions are. Put them into practice. Teach it and make sure our kids can execute it at a high level. And yeah. with one except, I thought Notre Dame got great play against the run from ten positions on Saturday. Fortunately, they're good enough to overcome that one when you're Correct. playing Louisville, right? You know, and and that's a good Louisville offense too. The, the story of the Louisville offense is is a lot different than the defense. I mean, the offense they they haven't turned they, they don't they turn the ball over too much, but they move the ball on people. Well, they didn't turn the ball over on Saturday, right. so there you go. Right, and I'd, I if doing the math in my head, I think about at least seventy five percent of their yards on Saturday came on like four plays. So you know, th- th- it was really just a dominant performance. It, it, honestly, even when their name was up twelve to seven, there was not a point where I felt like Louisville was going to go down and score, yeah. which is crazy to think about that. I agree. When you consider how good Louisville's, de- it was like Notre- someone's got to fall down, or some someone's got to do something, blow an assignment, which we you know, which the way the Buck played, I was a little concerned sure. about that. But that was just great coaching. I thought the defensive line against the run was brilliant. I thought the defensive tackles as a group were tremendous against the run. The second side of that story, other side of the coin, whatever phrase you like to use, the pass rush was problematic. This is a Louisville offensive line that had given up 14 sacks in the first four games. Notre Dame barely sniffed the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only counted two hits in the game on the quarterback. Uh, and, and it wasn't like they were throwing quick game all day. They were taking some shots. They were getting the ball downfield. And, and, and that, was a, that was problematic. Now, the secondary helped them out because I thought the secondary, which struggled against Florida State, really played well on Saturday. I mean, 
even the, the you know Tariq Bracy got beat on that twenty eight yard gain on a double move, but after that he he played really well. I, I think uh, when I did the stats, when I did the, the key takeaways, we I talked last week about how I thought Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick could be the best one two punch Notre Dame faces all year at receiver. It's in the conversation with North Carolina's group and then the group at Clemson. They held him to six catches for fifty three yards. Twenty eight of those came on one play. Yeah. You know, that's really good football, especially when you consider you weren't getting much of a pass rush. You know, so so I, there's just a lot of good – I didn't even think Kyle Hamilton played a great game. He did okay. Uh, but but Sean Crawford, I thought, played a phenomenal game. I, there was a play early, Vince, I think you'll remember this when I bring it up, is uh, they ran a reverse, and I thought it was pretty well called in design. They were running the stretch plays, running the stretch plays, and then they ran a reverse, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. And then as soon as I see the guy get the ball – Sean Crawford's already running that direction. Yeah. I mean, he sniffed it out brilliantly and just blew it up. And you're like, okay, now he's looking comfortable playing safety now, which he didn't in earlier games. So that's good. You know, so you know, that's why maybe the argument of well, maybe they just keep sticking with Shane Simon, maybe that'll happen. Maybe. I just but I don't see a guy with football instincts. Yeah. That's the problem that I see. But but so there was a lot of good to take out of it, Vince. I love the coaching changes. I love the adjustments. I love, and you know what? Too here's what I like. They did not play on Saturday like a team that had just gotten embarrassed the week before. Sure, you'd have thought like they didn't even remember the Florida State game. Like it didn't shake their confidence at all, and that says a lot about the coaching. It says a lot about the players and their attitude. And and to when you're when you're you know you're, one of your best players doesn't play well, and you really don't get any in the pass rush, and your buck linebackers just basically gives you nothing and then all of a sudden you're like wow we dominated yeah because as a group i thought other than that one position i thought as a group they played really well together agree and different guys pick people up that different you know like there was a play sean crawford they ran a corner route in the third quarter they ran a corner route and sean crawford it was one of the few mistakes he made all game where he was a little bit late getting over to the corner well he ended up getting a pass breakup on that play because Tariq Bracey read the quarterback perfectly, undercut the corner route, and actually tipped the ball. I don't know if Sean Crawford is able to break it up if it doesn't get slowed down initially. Maybe he does, but it would have been a tougher play. And then Sean made a great play you know, on it at that point in time. But like, it was just those two guys kind of working together. One guy was just a second late. But when you're playing the receivers, the caliber of Louisville, Louisville a second late is a 30-yard gain. Sure. And so it just it was such great team defense, Vince, that it was it was a lot of fun to watch. And they played with a lot of energy, they played with physicality, and that's the thing I really like about this team. Is for all my frustrations, they're playing hard. Ian Book, the the late 24-yard run to uh Kyron Williams. He's 15 this is your 26 game starting quarterback. Who's 15 yards downfield blocking somebody? Yeah, no, that was impressive. Agreed. That's a mindset. You get what yes. I'm saying? Like, that's not just, oh, toughness. I've never questioned Ian Book's toughness. Never. But that's a mindset of, this is what I got to do. This play, we need the first down here. Game's on the line. If I got to run downfield and block somebody, I'm going to run down the field sure. and block somebody. There's no one on this football team. Ben Skoranek, anyone that I'm questioning to saying that guy just doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to compete. And so that's why I'm I'm still optimistic that this whole thing can get can get fixed. And that's why this show was a lot more big picture because Louisville's not good. 
okay? And, and Pitt's not good, and Georgia Tech's not good. So we can talk about the specifics of those, and we'll dive into it, but this is more of a big-picture thing that has to get corrected. But yeah. part of the reason I'm so fired up about events as we kind of wrap up is there's a lot of pieces in place with this football team to tell me if they can fix this, this, and this, they can beat Clemson on November 7th. They play the way they did on Saturday, they're going to get steamrolled because oh. you could hold Clemson to 35 points and play great on defense. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. saw that in the playoff two years ago. Uh, Georgia Tech's got a pretty good defense. They got destroyed on Saturday. The mistake they made against Clemson was they intercepted Trevor Lawrence, yeah. and that just pissed him <laughs> off. And then he just murdered them the rest of the game. You know, it's like, it's like if you're Clark Lee, you're like, if he throws a pick at you, drop just it, drop <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, you don't really do that. No. But but the point is, when you look at how hard the defense plays and how well they play together and the pieces that they have, and you say, you know, this player's come along, and, and the defense has really been hurt by the COVID stuff because they've had guys in and out. Like, if any side of the ball wants to make excuses, you know, that Brian Kelly's using the whole COVID thing as an excuse for offense, they weren't missing anybody on offense right. because of COVID that, that was a regular guy. Javon McKinley hasn't missed a game. Ian Book hasn't missed a game. None of the offensive linemen have missed a game. Tommy Tremble didn't miss a game. Michael Mayer didn't miss a game. Kyron Williams didn't miss a game. Chris Tyree didn't miss a game, right? Defense has literally had dudes out because of this stuff. And, and, and they're able to bounce back quickly. They, they're playing at a very high level. The offensive line and the tight ends and the running backs are playing at a very high level, and they have the pieces in place, a quarterback and a receiving core, that if they make the corrections, they can get this thing going. You've got two games to do it. They need to have a come-to-Jesus moment on offense this week and say, here's what we got. If we're not utilizing all these – you don't have a Chase Claypool. You don't have Miles Boykin. Right, so stop asking Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley to be those guys. Right, sixty snaps a game. You have a lot of pieces that can fit into one puzzle really well. Use them. Get Jordan Johnson going, and if you don't, that's not on him. That's on you. Get right. Xavier Watts. Xavier Watts can't run a jet sweep. If right. you're not using him, that's on you. That's not on Xavier Watts. Get George Tack. It's not George Tack. Excuse me. Get you can use George Tack because he probably start for nine <laughs> of the teams in Notre Dame plays this year. Exactly. You know, use Michael Mayer. Use Tommy Trumbull more. Build the offense around them. Make Javon McKinley a complimentary piece. Figure out how you can utilize Ben's chronic skills. Figure out how you can use Joe Wilkins' skills. Put freaking Micah Jones in there in the red zone and throw him a fade route. You, you know what I mean? Like you have pieces. Use them. You got two weeks to figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, that's on you. But if they can figure it out, and this is where the excitement comes from, there's a lot of hammering on events, but here's where it comes down to it. If they can figure it out quickly, just like the defense did, they figured some stuff out weak. Everything that they struggled with against Florida State, Louisville tried to do, and they failed at it because the defense figured it out, made the corrections, and they played. If you can do that on offense, then I do think this could be a special team because the pieces are in place up front. You've got the running backs to, that can dominate. You've got a quarterback that's got the grittiness and the toughness and all those kind of things. Ian Book's not going to back down from a fight. Never going to back down from a fight. If Ian Book's got to put his shoulder down and run over somebody on third and ten, he'll do it. He's shown he'll do it. But you got to put him in position to be successful. you got to put the receivers in position to be successful. And if they make those changes over these next couple weeks, these next two weeks could be the most important of Brian Kelly's tenure, in my opinion. And I am not being hyperbolic. If he can figure it out these next two weeks – and give his coaches the freedom and the push to say, guys, do whatever you got to do. If you don't get those two guys going for at least five, ten snaps a game these next two weeks, we're going to have a problem. You're, we're going to have a meeting in my office, and it's not going to be a fun one. Okay? Get it done. Tommy, Dell, Lance, get it done. 
And if they do that these next two weeks, then I then I then I'm excited about that November seventh game. And then if they, you know, a, a, a tight game there, even if they just battle Clemson, then go steamroll your next few opponents and you get your rematch in the ACC title game. Because then you got four or five more, you know, four more games to to figure it, to to continue to get those pieces going for that rematch in 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 the ACC title game. So that's where the hope comes from. That's where the excitement comes from. Now Brian Kelly's got to do something we haven't seen him do, which is make changes on offense on the fly. And we haven't really seen him do that. But the one time he had a coordinator push to do that was Chip Long in 2018. It was Chip the push to get Brandon Wimbush removed and put Ian Book. And that offense, after that push, that initial stretch, after that push, that offense played really, really well. Remember that? Wake Forest, 56 points up and down the field, right? Stanford, shredded Stanford. Went on the road, beat a good Virginia Tech team, put up 438 yards. You know, So if you can get back to that and play to that level, then I think this team's got a chance to be special. I'm frustrated by what we've seen. I'm encouraged by what this team could be. And as long as Tommy Reese can 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 insert himself into, in Lance Taylor and say, hey, coach, we got to make these changes. we got to do it. Then I think this team is going to have a chance to, to 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 be really good. If we see the same stuff against Pitt on Saturday that we saw this past week, personnel wise and all that, scheme wise, they'll beat Pitt. Pitt stinks, but it's going to tell me they're they're not serious about competing for titles. And that's that to me is where I'm at, Vince. So these next two weeks are going to tell me is Brian Kelly just he is who he is, or is Brian Kelly going to realize, wow, we played like trash on Saturday on offense and and we and we had a defense that shut down one of the best offenses that we're going to see. Boy, if we can get this offensive thing going, we're we're going to be hard to beat. And do what you got to do. All right. Do what you got to do to get there. All right, let's leave it there and uh we will we will be back obviously with a preview of the pit game later on this week. I'll also have a preview with a the uh, opposing sideline interview uh, that we will put it out either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, uh, depending on when we can sit down. But uh, so stay, make sure you stay locked in to IrishBreakdown.com because there'll be all kinds of stuff uh, coming out about. Uh, there's already a bunch of stuff about the Louisville game, and then there will be a bunch of stuff about the pit game coming up and uh brian i believe you will be traveling to pittsburgh yeah man so that'll be, be hopping in the car on friday afternoon yeah, heading man. over to the steel city so that'll be fun so we'll get the uh the the actual in-person impression on the first road game for the irish and which is really weird to say uh as we sit here in the middle of october yeah. that it'll be the first road game of, it's october 18th and Notre Dame's played four games yeah so, so weird. So weird. But you, you'll be there with them. And uh, so stay locked into irishbreakdown.com. Make sure you stay locked into our podcast because we'll have all the info for you uh, leading up to the Pittsburgh game. So thanks, Irish fans, for joining us. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.